0: Hello and welcome to you. This is the February the 6th edition of the Macedonia North Baptist Church Sunday morning sermon. Um, We are actually going to be studying Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 all the way through chapter 5 verse 32. I'm actually only going to read the first 16 verses of chapter 4. In a moment I'll tell you when it's uh, time Uh, to just kind of pause the sermon and read chapter 4 verse 16 through uh, chapter 5 verse 32 uh, so that you'll be able to follow along Um, the sermon itself is not very long the introduction we're gonna deal with um, the lines of Cain and Abel and uh, Genesis chapter 5 is a table of nations and we're gonna look at that a little bit um, uh, but as we get into this one thing that I find truly amazing is the human mind's ability uh, to adapt even to the most horrible things. So even if something's really bad if we hear about it often enough or we're told in the right way it doesn't disturb us as much as it really should. Take for example Disney's story Snow White. She is by all accounts a young teenage girl not a grown woman at all Uh, She is poisoned by a witch and left for dead. Uh, The only way that she can be cured is the magic that's held in True Love's Kiss. This sounds so tragic when you don't have all the songs and all the uh, singing animals and the dwarves and all those other things. But yet, we watched it as children. Kids today still watch this same movie. Sometimes it's in the way that you tell it and sometimes just if we're familiar with something it becomes less tragic Um, the story of Cain and Abel is like this Um, the Bible does not play up the violence or the uh, horrible nature of what happens here and we've heard this story over and over and over again it is uh, worked right into our culture so much that we simply do not react to it the way that we should And so this morning, I want us to hear it as if for the first time so that we can recognize the sin, because this is a major, uh, I wouldn't say turning point, um, but it is a new depth uh, that humanity will sink to at at this particular time. It is sad, disturbing, um, but, but interesting that the first murder recorded in all of human history is one brother killing another brother Um, it's not strangers it's not it's not enemies it, it is family it is brother rising up against brother so at this time i want you to pause the sermon and read genesis chapter 4 verse 16 through chapter 5 verse 32 there's a lot of names in there I promise I can't pronounce most of them and and so you don't have to be able to either but just see what the people do uh, look at their lives right at the end you're gonna see Noah and um, let just read that I'm gonna give you a moment of silence and then uh, we will be we will we'll pick up and I'll just kinda cover the things that I want to share with you about that okay so we're back and When you look at this, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 through 24, that deals with Cain's line. Um, And so his line and lineage will be kind of compared to that of Seth. Okay, so spoiler alert, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. Um, Cain is cast away from where his family, Adam and Eve, had settled, um and, and he's he's told that he's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer his whole life, but that doesn't <clears throat> that doesn't last. Then uh, Adam and Eve have another son named Seth, and Seth was a uh, a replacement, I guess you would say, for Abel. Uh, the children that would have come through Abel now come through Seth, and so we're going to look at the difference between these two lines. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say. Who Cain married? Uh, we could definitely get into some date, debates about what uh, what the possibilities are there. But we know that that there was a lot of time that passed. People lived a lot older, uh, but it was almost certainly a daughter of Eve. Um, the divine prohibition against marrying close relations did not come until much later. Uh, the human race was very pure, so the damage of defective of descendants was. Uh, it just simply didn't exist. <clears throat> now, uh, Cain's eldest son was named Enoch. This is not the Enoch um, that you know about. You read him in uh, chapter 5. A whole different life, whole different person. Um, but it, his name is Enoch. Again, we're not told Cain's wife. Um, we're told that Cain actually builds a city or starts a city and names it after his son. We don't know the name of the city either, so uh, Mrs. Cain and Enochville is basically all we can come up with as far as where they lived. Um, and Building a city may have actually been an act of uh, defiance. Um, maybe Cain had had enough of this fugitive life. We'll get into this a little bit more when we read the text, but um, he had he had to, to run and and. Uh, stay away from people and then he decided to build his own city. Maybe this was yet another act of rebellion. Um, Maybe he built the city to provide security for himself. He was very afraid that people were going to take vengeance on him uh, because uh, of his murder of Abel. Um, That's a realistic thought because everybody was kin to everybody at that time. So, he killed somebody's brother and somebody's cousin and somebody's uncle and so forth and so on down the line. Um, so it, it, was, it would have mattered. Um, so as we look at this, um, it does not tell us that God is displeased with uh, Cain building a city. It just states it. Um, Cain likely, uh, although he had been a wanderer, wanted to find a place where he could settle down for his children and his children's children. Um, we don't know much at all about any of the people that come in Cain's line until we get to a man named Lamech. Um, he's the seventh generation from Adam. Um, and, and the interesting thing is maybe maybe Adam was still alive. We're, we're, we're still because of the timeline and the ages and things like that, um, a lot of the people that you hear about before the flood might have all kind of lived and coexisted even though they were living very, very different lives. Um, so Lamech brought a number of firsts into the world. Um, he, his is the first mention of polygamy. Um, uh, a man shall uh, cleave to his wife uh, he made it into a man shall cleave to his wives. Um, he had two uh, wives, um, and you know the Bible uh, records polygamy multiple times, actually, and and among people uh, that it is painting in an overall favorable light. We we look at Abraham, we look at Jacob, we look at David. Um, there were there were there were several examples of of. men who had multiple wives and were painted in a reasonably favorable light, Jesus makes it clear that from the very beginning, God intended for marriage to be one man and one woman. In fact, in almost every one of these cases of polygamy, uh, the Bible also records some life-shattering tragedy that these families have to go through and that they have to endure. Um, So it's not painted uh, in in a favorable light, uh, and, and really, uh, Lamech taking on a second wife more or less um, reflects the idea that mankind is drifting even further away from God's intended pattern for life. Um, <clears throat> with Lamech also uh, comes the, the beginning of arts and crafts through uh, his children. <clears throat> so it, it's important to note, even the fallen world, um, they play a, a important and sometimes even wholesome part uh, in the development of human society, and and, and I would say um, provide in some cases for us um, God's blessings. So the Greeks brought us art and philosophy. Um, some of the philosophy uh, that they uh, championed would later go into informing the ideas of uh universal human freedom um of a, a, a free they didn't think of it like this but a, a free press um a freedom of speech anyway freedom of expression and so many other things that are vital for uh just the the the, the safety of of humans in general um the romans by the way uh, provided a tremendous amount of uh, a framework for a legal system and government. Before they were an empire, they were a republic, which um, was as close to a functioning democracy as, as you're going to see in the ancient world. Um, and so Lamech, he had, uh, he had a couple of sons, uh, three sons, and uh, we'll mention just a few of them, Jabel. Uh, was the ancestor of nomads who live in tents and move with flocks and herds. Um, these uh, flocks and herds were not just sheep and goats, uh, it refers to even larger animals, so he might have been the one that domesticated camels and donkeys, uh, things along those lines. You have Jubal that invented music, uh, musical instruments, uh, the string, harp, a uh, string or something like a harp, some kind of wind instrument, an organ or a pipe or something along those lines. Um, you have Tubal cane. Now this one is interesting to me as a history person. He developed, uh, met metallurgy, uh, the, the ability to work metal, both bronze and iron. If you are a student of history, you know that we had a bronze age and an iron age, and that typically humans used those things, um, sometimes in tandem, but for the most part, there was bronze and then there was iron. Um, but apparently, uh, Tubal Cain had developed the ability to make both of these. Uh, um, through uh, uh, smelting and, and forging, he was able to make both of these. Um, uh, materials. Now, some people might say, well that's impossible because humans didn't discover that for X number of years afterwards. But you do have to remember that we're leading right up to a global flood. And so it's very possible that knowledge that the human race once had was lost during the flood. In fact, it's a certainty, it's an absolute certainty that some of that knowledge was lost. And people might say, well, there's, we don't go backwards, we go forwards. But that is absolutely not true. Look at the world after the fall of the Roman Empire. There were so many things that the Romans and, and, you know, they had stood on the shoulders of the Greeks and and Babylonians and Assyrians and so so, so on and so forth back that way. But when you look at them, they could do things. They could build in certain ways. They had certain technology and knowledge that would be lost to the world uh, for nearly a thousand years or some even more than a thousand years. So, yes, humanity does. Take uh, giant steps backwards from time to time, uh, and 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 it could even happen again. Um, so anyway, uh, Lamech uh, also composed um, poetry. Uh, it's the first example that we actually have um, of 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 poetry in the Bible. Not words that that, that God Himself uh, said, but but something that that mankind said. Um, Now, he says something that's that's very interesting here. Um, The names of Lamech's wives, uh, they seem to be suggestive. So, Ada might derive from a root word that means pretty or pretty face, um, and Zilla from a root word that means a tinkling voice. So, it may be that the reason uh, Lamech decided to marry two women is because he fell for a sweet voice and a pretty face. Um, But his poem... In uh, Genesis chapter four, verse uh, twenty-three and twenty-four, uh, this this is it's poetry. It's not uh, it's not Shakespeare. It's it's not a sonnet, but but it is it is poetry. He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Um, what he's saying here, and this is the sword of the song, or the song of the sword basically is is what people call this. Um, and what we're seeing here is what Lamech is saying is that if, if God was going to avenge Cain seven times over, he would avenge himself 77 times over, or really the the way that it should translate is to the nth degree, or just infinitely more than even God would avenge Cain. Um, So this is yet another um, form of arrogance and cruelty that is displayed in mankind, and it just shows how far man had degenerated from Adam's original sin. You know, Adam agreed to rebel against God by partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, when you put that up against murdering 77 people because somebody offended you, it doesn't look so bad. But we have to understand that, that it, is, it, is, it is the cause of all of these other sins. It is the root of all of this other sin. It is the spark of the rebellion of humanity against mankind. So as we kind of turn the page a little bit and look at Seth, uh, Seth's line uh, starts in in twenty five. You just get uh, chapter four, verse twenty five and twenty six. Um, but it does indicate um, that that Seth his line was a replacement, um, and Eve even says God granted me another seed instead of Abel. Um, so like a replacement. Um, which is a very, very big idea in Scripture. Just kind of putting that out there, this is a very big idea of, of um, standing in or or replacing that which was lost. This is a very, very big idea uh, through, throughout Scripture. And so Eve's um, promise that God gave to her, that her... Offspring would one day crush the head of the serpent. Well, it, it still goes on because if you looked at the line of Cain You're looking at a line that that isn't getting better. It's obviously getting worse. It's not holding steady. It is constantly um, getting worse, but Seth Represented a, a righteous line uh, one one that would um, follow after God and um, so as, as we look at this, um, it is in the family of Seth that men began to call on the name of the Lord. Um, and then calling on the name of the Lord suggests prayer, um, uh, but also allegiance. Uh, Seth's descendants would be listed in chapter 5. We'll see all of that there. Uh, and they're characterized in this way. They, they were godly people. Um, not perfect, but godly people. And God chose to work through uh, Seth in his line to solve mankind's sin problem. So, um, his line would not contribute to culture like that of Cain so much as it would contribute to theology and to worship. Um, It is important when the Bible uses a specific name for God, and here it actually uses the name Yahweh. Now, when we know of um, uh, what we know of the name Yahweh, is that it is God's covenant name, it is his name full of promise, it is his name full of faithfulness. Um, in Exodus chapter 6, it actually says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know God by Yahweh, but only by El Shaddai. Uh, <clears throat> the thought is not that they did not know the name, but they did not appreciate its full meaning. Um, they thought of him as uh, the, the ruler of the universe, but not necessarily um, a gracious being who wanted to be their friends. Adam and Eve talked with God in Eden. Both Cain and Abel worshiped Him. Uh, here, the worship of Yahweh is connected with the people before the flood. It was the finer points of uh, Yahwehism, essentially, uh, that came to light through Moses. And so, this is a precursor to what Moses himself would learn. All right. I'll try to do this as quick as I can, but let's go through the Table of Nations. This is this is uh, Genesis chapter five, um, and I'm just going to point out things. Um, this this Genesis chapter five bridges the gap between Cain and the flood, um, because if if you just went from Cain to the flood, you would think, "Wow, we have one murder, and now we got to kill everybody." Uh, but you you can see that there are some things. Um, <clears throat> this is not one of the most exciting parts of scripture. I I admit that. Um, and, and there may be some gaps, uh, in this, uh, in this genealogy, meaning there may have been more time passed than what we actually see here. So that's important to know. Um, but it's actually unlikely, um, just because of the way that, that it is written and just the, um, uh, the detail that's that's given. So when it says this is the book of the generations of Adam, um, it, it follows the line of Seth. and, and so Cain is kind of cast out of the family. He is not part of the generations of Adam. and so that is also part of his, uh, part of his punishment. So um, God, if we'll remember, made Adam in his likeness. Um, and, and then this says that uh, Seth was made in Adam's own likeness. and so he is a, a copy of the image of God. And that, is, uh, that that is interesting. So he remained true and he worshipped God. Um, the oldest man, uh, we, we meet the oldest man in this passage, Methuselah. <clears throat> he lived 969 years and died. The year of the flood. We do know that. We can do the math and, and work that out. So perhaps even in the waters of the flood, he would have been the the grandfather of um, of Noah. And so it's just very interesting um, to, to look at how this how this plays out. And there are some things that will always be theory uh, and, and until we get to heaven and find out. Uh, exactly how it is. Um, when we talk about 969 years, uh, that is a, a very long time. Uh, some people have tried to explain these long lives as something like dynasties. Um, that's possible, but it's not probable. Others are sure that they are exaggerations, uh, should be uh, divided by 10, maybe, uh, making Methuselah 96.9 years old. But, Uh, It makes his uh, father only 6.5 years old when Methuselah is born. So that doesn't make a lot of sense either. So, uh, the flood story... Uh, makes it quite clear that the years of Genesis were about 360 days in length. Um, We're following a lunar calendar at this point so it is important to note that the difference in time of year is um, based on the point of reference essentially. So it is better uh, to take these figures as indicating actual lifespans. So when we see someone is 900 and something years old then they really did live that long. Uh, Lifespans did diminish later due just to the to the weight of sin, the cumulative effect of sin uh, in in our lives. There was um, the changes in the earth's climate. Uh, it became became more dangerous. Um, the, the 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 weather and just the elements. And also later, the development of disease. Imagine no diseases, no no um, no things to really kind of take you down nobody died in a car wreck nobody died in a plane crash there were less ways uh for someone to die back then um theologically lives that span nearly nearly a millennium reflect god's blessing on the line of seth and so that is something that we see there um but that history's oldest human beings did not reach the age of 1000 which in god's sight is but an evening um it does serve as a reminder of the infinite distance between God and man. So that definitely helps us see uh, that when we, when we marvel at the age of Methuselah, uh, that is but a day in the eyes of God. So you do get ten generations listed um, in the, in the uh, genealogy of Adam. Uh, the names of the first sons uh, in order are Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, I can't say it, Majelihel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Um, So we we have Methuselah, who lived the longest at 969 years. Lamech, the shortest at 777. Um, Several descendants are listed with really nothing told, um, but uh, for three of them, something special is mentioned. Uh in each case, this is a God-pleasing thing. Uh, so we know about Enoch. Uh, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, uh, for God took him. So there is a, there is a wealth of uh, writing on Enoch because people have been very interested in him. Um, but what you just read is about all we have as far as an original source goes. Um, so what it means is that um, he walked with obedience, Uh, he had communion and fellowship with God, it is worth noting that Enoch was the seventh recorded generation from Adam. Uh, so this corresponds with the extremely boastful Lamech in Cain's line. So the seventh of Cain's line was a man of evil and violence, whereas the seventh in Adam's line or Seth's line was a, a man that walked with God, delighted in God. Um, note The, the notice... Um, about Enoch is that he continued to to walk with God even as sin abounded in the world that's that's something that we need to notice is that he was not influenced by the rising tide of sin that was around him and there's definitely something for us to take away as well Um, so God took him means he lifted him aloft into his immediate presence without dying he's one of the very select few that that went to God without dying of Lamech in Seth's line, uh, <clears throat> the father of Noah, uh, it said that, that he expressed hope when Noah was born, uh, saying that this one would bring comfort from the toil imposed through the curse on the ground. Um, so this statement reveals that uh, this man was God-conscience uh, and, and and possibly God-centered himself, uh, though he would have had little knowledge of the, um, at, at the time uh, the way in which that comfort would actually come. He didn't know what God would do. He just believed that God would do something amazing through his son Noah to bring comfort and, and peace in the world. Um, so Noah, uh, Noah's father, his words are a desperate um, hope, and it's, and it's a call for relief. Um, life was very difficult, and he was seeking some kind of relief. So, Noah had three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in contrast with Cain's godless line, every mention made of Seth's line show it to be a God-pleasing line in character. So he passed on that knowledge and that love of God uh, further and further on down the line. Okay, I promise that was longer than the sermon. Uh, so let's get into the sermon in a sentence. The story of Cain and Abel shows the depth of man's sin the certainty of God's judgment, and the grace that he extends to every sinner. So I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 16. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying uh, to me uh, from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so we're going to look at this. Just It's really just two points, honestly. It, the failed offering is, is the beginning. Um, so sin in, in this story takes the form of violence and murder. And so that's when we look at this story. Again, Cain killed Abel. People have been saying that as long as time. And so we're used to it. We're used to to, to the the particulars of the story. But I really want us to think about it and think about what kind of place did Cain have to go to to decide that, that he would just kill his brother. It's a dark place. It's a place that sin can bring you. Sin can bring me. Sin can bring anyone to that dark place. Um, <clears throat> so we know... Adam and Eve had children. Uh, Cain and Abel is, is uh, the, the first result of, of them having children. Uh, it, it tells us that um, Abel was a shepherd. Um, these are small flocks. Um, so goats, sheep, that kind of thing. And that Cain uh, became a farmer. Uh, and so he worked the field, uh, just, just like Adam was told to do. So he worked the fields, grew uh, plants and vegetables, and Abel was a, was a shepherd. In time, the two brothers came to worship God. Um, same place, same time. Cain brought a sacrifice of his farm, uh, some, some produce, some things that he had grown. Abel brought the best of his flock. The text does not tell us uh, how the brothers brought to God their respective sacrifices, an altar, something, it doesn't tell us. But we know that Cain and Abel both both brought um, uh, offerings to God. Now, because we don't know the actual setting here and, and what's going on, it does bring up some questions. One, how did God make his approval or disapproval known? Um, Some rabbis have said fire came down and consumed Abel's offering while no fire fell down for Cain's. Um, Others think the smoke from Abel's altar rose straight up to heaven while the smoke from Cain uh, trailed along the ground. Um, Was there some visual clue? Was there some actual words that was said? The biblical account doesn't tell us, so we don't really know. It does bring up another question, though. Why did God accept one sacrifice and reject the other? some people think that it has something to do with the stuff of the offering um the language does indicate that abel brought first fruit the first and the best so the first fruit and the fattest of his flock Um, while cain brought god only something out of the ground not necessarily his best Um, Others really think that the difference lays in the fact um, that Abel brought the right kind of offering, uh, a bloody offering as opposed to a bloodless sacrifice, while Cain brought only chaff as something uh, the Jews said. Others say uh, that Abel offered a sacrifice in the right way. Um, so, uh, for example, Cain did not divide his offering rightly. Uh, in both cases, the offering should have been suitable, however, because no laws yet I demanded a blood sacrifice uh, unless it had been given and not recorded, something that, that we weren't told, and because both vegetables and animal offerings were acceptable later in the Old Testament law. So we know that, that vegetables had been or were acceptable sacrifices to God as well as animals. Um, so. Each one of them brought an offering that was appropriate to their occupation. If, if, if God had put some kind of command down that says you've got to bring fruit from the earth, then it would have been Abel who wouldn't have been able to comply. Uh, so both of them brought offerings from their profession, professional occupation. And so that just seems like it's not the stuff of the offering that really matters as much. Um, what we do see is the way, the heart, with which it was delivered. Uh, Abel brought his offering uh, in faith. That's the, ex- the explanation we get from the author in Hebrews. Um, so Abel brought a offering of faith, and Cain just brought an offering. This makes more sense. It lines up with everything else that we see in Scripture. Um, it is obvious. That it was not the offerer who received approval because of the offering, but the offering because of the offerer. That might be kind of difficult, but it's obvious that what um, was given was not accepted because of what it was, but because of who gave it and the condition of their heart. And it is just as obvious that another offering was rejected, the offering of Cain was rejected, not because... Of what he offered but because of the condition of his heart when he gave it and that's very important for us to point out very very important for us to point out there now as we look at this uh, the text doesn't tell us uh, how God indicated that he accepted or rejected uh, nor does it say how Cain and Abel knew Uh, it also uh, it doesn't tell us uh, on what grounds God acted. So, a lot of that is, is speculation. But the text does say uh, that Cain found out that God didn't accept his offering somehow. He he, he got very angry um, uh, because God didn't accept his offering. And it seems that God still came and spoke to people at this point because he comes down and, and asks Cain a question. He says, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why has your face fallen? Um, and, and this, this wasn't a, a, a physiological change for Cain that his face fell. Uh, he's angry, uh, and just the, the look on his face tran- was transformed from one that would have been um, pleasant or, or, or at least not angry to one that was dark and sorrowful. And, and that was the look on Cain's face. But you have to remember that not only was there their sadness and that feeling of rejection, but there was also anger. And we know that Cain could do nothing to God. He doesn't even respond to God when God speaks to him, but he does have a plan in mind, and that plan is an evil plan. God preaches to Cain, and we all need to make sure that the, the kids and the teenagers in our lives hear this very same message at some point in their lives. So, God tells him that sin is lurking or crouching uh, at his door, waiting to pounce on him. Sin is, a, sin is an evil, violent lion, predator, seeking to just devour us. And we need to get that visual image of sin in our minds. That's important for us to get. Um, and, and what God says is is you have to master that sin. So this evil, vicious, violent predator that's trying to devour you—you've got to become its master. You've got to tell it what it does and what it does not do. That is your job as a person. That was Cain's job as a person. God said you must master it. It's a command, or maybe an invitation. You may master it. You you can master it if you want to. Um, anyway, the text makes Cain's person personal responsibility very clear. You you are to master this sin so God is not making excuses for Cain there is no excuse for Cain Cain uh, rose up in, in an evil act to kill his brother there's no there's no there's no way to make this someone else's fault so Cain did not benefit from God's admonition. He just he just didn't. Um, he, he didn't get it. It only increased his fury. But he actually hit it well. The way that the text is written, it doesn't mean that Cain just went up to Abel and said, Hey, come out to the field and then bludgeoned him to death with a rock or something. It it means that he carried on the act. Like he he fooled Cain or he fooled Abel into thinking that that they were still on good terms, that Cain was not angry, that Cain had no negative intentions toward Abel. But he just waited, Cain just waited for his moment to kind of complete his murderous revenge, what he wanted to do. So he would have spoken smooth words and acted friendly until that moment when he was able uh, to to get him out in the open country where no one could see and then murder him. Uh, Slew, uh, the word, kind of the the translation word there, slew or murdered, uh, it's the normal Word for intentional murder. So this was not, uh, this was not. You know, in America we kind of divide things up between manslaughter and murder. This was not just heat of the passion. He planned to come to a, a place where he would not be seen and kill his brother. And so that was that was Cain's murder uh, to, or his act of murder was to take his brother to where no one would see. So, again, just noticing themes here. Once again, mankind commits sin. He knows that it's a shameful thing, so he tries to not be seen. He tries to keep the thing hidden. Uh, From what we understand, maybe Cain tried to kind of bury Abel a little bit based on what God's saying here, or maybe he just left him out in the field. But either way, he left him in a place where he would not be discovered. Um, it's not that Adam and Eve or, or or some other person discovered the body of Abel. It is that God comes down to speak to him. And so let's look at that. So this is yet another case of judgment and mercy. So God confronted uh, Cain again. And this time it's a very legitimate question. Not that it wasn't legitimate last time, but, but it's very like pointed. He says, where is Abel, your brother? Um, so... The first thing that Cain says is a lie. I don't know. Um, that that that's a lie. He knows where he left his brother. Uh, the second part is just uh, a rejection of God's question as appropriate. He says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Well, nobody is. You killed him. Um, so the, the the point is, um, God is 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 holding him accountable. Uh, but but. Cain just denies all responsibility of Abel or Abel's location or Abel's condition. Uh, so God's next question um, was, what have you done? Um, and, and Instead of playing this game where Cain continues to lie about what's happened and, and, and deflect and all of that, what have you done? Now, uh, and his comment was that Abel's uh, spilled blood cries out from the ground for justice. Uh, this is um, th- th- this is in in reality and on on the page what a lot of times happens in our own conscience. Uh, we you know we do try to justify sin. We do try to justify what we've done, and uh, we don't sometimes remember that we're speaking to the creator of the universe. He hears all things even the cries of the blood of those that have been unjustly killed and so here is Cain he cannot deny it any longer um, because God has heard the blood of his brother so Cain uh, is going to receive punishment but interestingly enough God does not kill Cain for his crime instead he bans him from the soil if you remember Cain was the farmer And so this is a significant um, uh, punishment to begin with. It's not that he can't touch the soil, but that it will not be productive for him any longer. Um, He's not going to lead a settled life of raising crops and harvesting crops. He'll be a wandering fugitive. So he was a farmer. Right? He was used to working the land, uh, same place, um, and home every night, those kinds of things. Now he's going to be a wanderer, a, a vagabond even. Um, he's not going to have roots. He's going to be detached. He's going to travel along. Now, Cain actually does protest uh, this sentence. And, and to be honest, it seems um, it, it just seems galling that he would protest this, considering the fact that he murdered his brother. God just says, you're not going to be able to grow uh, plants anymore, and you're going to be a wanderer. And Cain protests this judgment. This is the judgment of God, that that you won't be able to grow vegetables anymore. And he says, this judgment is too harsh. Um, He saw the punishment as fourfold, so he lists it off. He says, there will be only a meager return from working the land. So, how's he going to eat? Um, He will be hidden from God's face. So... Whatever relationship he did have with God, and and, and obviously God was working with Cain. God came down to Cain and and, and warned him even before he took violence against his brother. God was working with him and speaking with him. And there's every reason to believe that Cain could have grown into a a, a good and faithful worshiper of God if he had had avoided uh, this violence, if he had mastered his sin the way that, that God told him to. But now he's cast from the presence of God. Also, he's forced into this nomadic life, uh, and he believes that he will be open game for anyone who meets him. Now, This last statement uh, anticipated that other sons and daughters of Adam, who would be born later, would become Avengers. They would come after Cain. Um, If these are Cain's siblings, and and this is the best option, the situation is ironic, um, because he was the one uh, who who reached out and killed his brother, uh, and now... Um, he must watch out and protect himself from all of his brothers and sisters, all of his relatives. Um, So 15 and 16 signals a a turn in this narrative. Uh, God now spoke a word of divine promise and performed an act of uh, protection. Whoever kills Cain will be avenged sevenfold. That's the promise. And then the protection is he placed a mark on Cain. There is absolutely no way for us to know what kind of mark God used, but it identified Cain as especially protected by God. If not favored, because he wasn't favored, but he was protected by God. And so... Uh, the same God that pronounced the sentence and said, you, 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 you are judged, the ground will no longer yield its fruit to you, is the same God that issued this protection, put a mark on Cain, and protected him. And, and that's something that, that we must be aware of that God uh, will absolutely judge sin, but He will always show mercy. Now, the text tells us that, that Cain moved. He moved away from Adam and Eve. He moved to a land east of Eden called Nod. There's not enough information for us to actually identify this place. Um, the word Nod actually means wandering. Um, so it may be that he just went to the land of wandering. He went east of Eden and wandered for a very long time. So uh, we know that he eventually builds a city. We covered that already. Uh, but. Um, the narrative shows how sin led to an alienation from nature. Um, so he can no longer grow uh, the, 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 the crops that, that he would have really needed. Um, it also uh, gives it, brings forth an alienation between Cain and others because he feels constantly like he's being hunted, chased down, going to be killed. And so he, he, he moves a, away from people. But it also uh, is an alienation from God. Uh, As an act of uh, mercy, God marked him so that no one would find him and kill him. But we see from the rest of his life and the lineage that he leaves that he did not follow after God. Like his life was not marked by service to God. Okay, so let's wrap this up. As we look at this passage, it becomes clear that our nature is to sin and drift away from God. So when we look at the line of Cain, and we examine how they drifted further and further away from God, deeper and deeper into sin. We look at Cain himself, how how that, that, that vicious, predatory, sinful nature was crouching at his door. God told him to master it, but he didn't. And it took over him, and in a fit of rage, he kills his only brother at that time. We see that sin is powerful. Its pull is powerful on our lives. And although God is merciful and he has made a path of forgiveness for us, we should not allow sin to dominate our lives. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a born again Christian, do not allow sin to dominate your lives because it does not just want to show you a good time, it wants to destroy you. It wants to devour you, to destroy your life, to destroy everything you hold dear. We should take a long and careful look, uh, not only at our actions, but also our motives because that's where it started for for Cain I really do believe that it wasn't the offering that he gave but the heart that he had when he gave it and that heart was not right and so we don't just need to look at what we're doing you say well I don't do anything wrong but you got to look at your heart why are you doing what you're doing let's look at our motives let's look deep inside of our hearts make sure that we're following the will of God and not allowing sin to rule in our own lives listen, not only did Jesus' death on the cross make a way for our salvation, but it also broke the power of sin in our lives so that we are able to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. Maybe Cain couldn't master his sin, but I think he could because God told him he could. But we certainly can master sin in our lives. That doesn't mean we'll live perfectly, but we certainly won't be dominated and ruled by it if we live in accordance with what Jesus is telling us to do. So what I ask you to do this morning is search your heart, watch your ways, be sure that you are not allowing sin to rule your life depend on and even claim the power of Jesus in your lives to overcome that sin that is a devastating force in any person's life and it is horrible in the life of a Christian so let's let us fight it let us defeat it like Cain should have let's never give in to its power and instead depend on the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really, really hope next week when we listen, we will be listening in person at church. We're praying and hoping that everybody can get well and uh, that, that we, can, we can be together again very soon.